This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. All right, welcome to another edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner, Matt Gallivan here with you. Um, thank you for joining us once again. We have a guest this week. His name is Mike Wobshaw, formerly of Vikings.com. He was with the Minnesota Vikings for 15 years. He traveled to all the road games. He did stats uh, for PA and Pete Versich on the road for the Vikings radio network. He wrote, he was on air, he interviewed players and coaches, and he just has a ton of great stuff. So we will get right to that interview with Mike Wobshaw. All right, we would now like to welcome in our guest for this week, Mike Wobshaw. He is a senior account manager at Rocket 55, also a contributor at VEASAN, the Vegas Sports and Information Network, Vikings Territory, and Purple PTSD, the latter two uh, being blogs. And we all have a a version of sports PTSD uh, after watching that (laughs) Vikings-Bengals game, which we'll get into. And speaking of the Vikings, uh, Wobby spent uh, well over a decade with the Minnesota Vikings, doing all kinds of stuff for Vikings.com, writing on-air stuff, uh, traveling to road games. He has uh, seen a lot of uh, this team, and we'll we'll get into that as uh, as well. And he joins us now. Bobby, uh, thanks thanks for joining us. You bet, Marshall. I'm glad you had me. It's always good to reconnect with you, as we've done over the years. Matt, great to meet you. I'm excited to join you guys and talk some Vikings and talk people off the ledge or talk people closer to the ledge. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll do our best. Yeah. Matt, Matt and I were saying, you know, when there's only one game to go on, um, it's a small sample and everyone of course overreacts positively and negatively oh, yeah. to their yeah. team after one week, but we'll get into that in a sec. I wanted to start uh, as we try to get to know our guests a little bit more and introduce them to people, the story uh, behind the person uh, you grew up in, in Wasika. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they always called you Wasika uh, Wabi when you came yes. on KFAN. Uh, what, what what was it like uh, growing up in Wasika, and, and how big of a role did did sports play uh, in your life uh, from the get go? Yeah, growing up in Wasika was great. I was one of three siblings. Uh, I had great parents. Um, all four of my grandparents lived in town. I was very fortunate and very. Uh, protected and insulated and it was very just gooey and romantic and great I had a great childhood um, and loved it and was very difficult for me to leave high school was fun and easy sports played a huge role in my in my upbringing and not just because it entertained me and was something for me to do but it, it instilled values in me like teamwork and responsibility and accountability and learning how to lose and learning how to handle winning so a huge role in my life when I was young, I um, graduated from high school and went to Gustavus, graduated from there, got a job with the Vikings and was with the Vikings for 15 years and had a lot of really positive, influential people in my life along the way. I would name them, but I'd miss people. And then, um, you know, that'd be I'd be bummed out about that. So I was I was just very lucky, um, you know, right time, right place a lot of the times and just had an aptitude, not for the physical ability necessarily to play sports, but to absorb information and to understand uh, what was going on, uh, not just with the main story, but around the main story, and maybe even have an idea at least that there was something behind the scenes. Maybe I didn't know what it was because I was too young, but I knew there was something there. Um, And, you know, that really kind of 
instilled a curiosity in me and, and ending up with the Vikings and getting to be uh, behind the scenes there and, and, and not just get a peek behind the curtain for 15 years, but operate behind the curtain for 15 years was really a thrill. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, as you know, I spent a lot of time in, in minor league baseball and, and while it's not uh, the NFL um, it, it's that, that behind the curtain Mm-hmm. aspect is, is really cool because you hear stuff that people say and some of it's accurate but some of it's not and then you can reveal some things and you can't reveal other things yeah and it's just stuff that you and the people who are privileged enough to to get that uh, glimpse in behind the curtain know and it gives you a better understanding of why certain things um, you're right happen. Yeah. yeah you're right and and that's why i referenced it's not it's not that, you know, when you're growing up watching sports or when you're already grown up and you're watching sports now, you know, it's, there is more to the story than, you know, um, and, and you don't know it and that's not your fault. Uh, but you have to know there's more to it because if you're just operating on what you're seeing and you think that's what you're getting, that's not right. You're getting a lot of stuff that you're not seeing. Um, and you know, that's how much you want to worry about that is up to each per it's, it's up, it's your prerogative, how much you want to worry about it. I, I would venture a guess that all the folks listening to you guys care a lot about that and are trying to read between the lines and are trying to absorb information and get a broader picture. And my advice to folks like that guys is, you know, being in the business the way I was, I was, I was an employee of the Vikings for 15 years. And so I was in a privileged position because I had a lot of information. The disadvantage for me was I couldn't always leverage that information for notoriety or popularity or for my own personal gain. Um, knowing that we were trading for Randy Moss the night before we did, or knowing we were trading for Jared Allen the night before we did, you know, you can get pretty loud about that on Facebook and Twitter and have a lot of followers, you know, but it'd be the, it'd be my last act with the Vikings if I did that. Right. So, um, you know, or, or, or coaches, assistant coaches or head coaches confiding in me, knowing that I would uh, be going on the airwaves and, expressing these opinions and becoming off as my own, like that's, you know, you're being uh, held, you know, you're, you're being given that information and the responsibility is yours to take care of it and to use it wisely. So my, my advice to people who can understand all of that is think about the people who, not just the people who are plugged in, like your Adam Schefter's or your Courtney Cronin's they're, they're plugged in and they have good information, but think about the team websites. Um, think about someone like Paul Allen, um, or another announcer for another team. Um, they, yeah, they're homers, you know, and they, they're rooting for the team. So you might think they're biased and therefore you may downgrade the legitimacy of their information, but that's a really shallow way to look at it. You got to think about two things. One is, yep. They may not break the story for you that, um, the Vikings are trading for Randy Moss, but, they're, they're not breaking stories that turn out to be wrong. So if you hear it from them, it's true or it's accurate. And there's some, there's some semblance of credit we got to give to people who are never wrong, right? And the team sites are never wrong. Uh, there's never wrong information. They may be wrong on predictions if they get to predict the games, but they never report a signing is happening and then it's not. So there's, there's value. They may not be first, but they're always right. 
And then the other thing you got to do that I just, I was, you know, people didn't do this. And I was just so surprised about it. You have to hear what they're not saying. What are they not saying? You know, and that matters. And if you, if you really think about it, it's like, you know, if (laughs) the offensive line, like if I was Vikings.com guy still right now, and I'm writing the Monday morning mailbag, I mean, the offensive line needs to be skewered. They need to be roasted. I mean, (laughs) they played terribly. Now, can they get better? They can, they can certainly get better. There's some good players on the line. There's some injured players who are going to come back, but you know, you're, you're not just going to get online on, on the Monday morning mailbag and have the Vikings.com guy just completely destroying the offensive line. I mean, he's got to eat breakfast and lunch or she's got to eat breakfast and lunch and fly and stay in the hotel with those guys. You know, so um, I, I just I have a good appreciation now for those people. And I, and I think although they tend to get teased for being homers or having purple shaded glasses. I don't think they're given enough credit for the fact that they have all the right answers. They have all the right information. They just have to be a little more judicious in how they use it. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, you, you mentioned uh, PA and, and he's a guy um, you clearly got, got very close to you were on the radio with him all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, did stats. Uh, that's one thing I didn't mm-hmm. mention at the top. You, you got to do stats uh, with him. What, what's something, cause we, We've gotten to know him uh, quite. I, I got to intern at KFN, so I saw some yeah. of the scenes of him as well. But what's something the public doesn't know? Because they know him well from his play-by-play and and nine to noon. But what's something the public doesn't know about uh, PA that they would be interested to know? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, I think the you know the one thing, and I hope I hope Paul would appreciate this. Um, you know, he the one thing that people should know is he he had a life before Canterbury and the Vikings and K fam, <laughs> you know, it's like, if you were, if you're here, you know, PA as voice of the Vikings, the guy who calls the races at Canterbury park. Cause I go there on beer night on Thursdays and have dollar beers and dogs. And I hear him on the loudspeaker and then he's on nine to noon on weekdays. And that's who he is. And that's his, that's his identity. And that's, you know, he's, he's lived and he's going to die with that. And that's just not the case. You know, he had a life before that. And, the positive things and negative things that um, he went through. And I'm not trying to build up some terribly dramatic story here. I'm not saying there is that Uh, I'm just trying to drive home the point that, you know, how he is, um, who he is, how he operates, the way he carries himself with regard to the teams around here and the relationships he cultivates with individuals maybe is not always as pointed as fans would like. Uh, maybe he can be a little, a little kinder, a little great, more gracious to athletes and coaches and teams than some people would expect from the sports leader, the most popular show in his time slot and in the, on the most popular sports radio network in the country, you know, but um, he's got a story that, um, that got him here. And that influences how he acts and how he performs while he's here. So I would just encourage people to remember that and to be curious about that. And again, there's nothing nefarious or bad about it. It's just um, what happened to him and the places he went, which is a really interesting story. When you talk about the horse tracks that he worked at and um, the sports he played in junior college and um, his relationships with some people, uh, you know, that's all of that happened. And that's, that's made him who he is today. And I think, um, you know, sometimes you can lose sight of that when all you're thinking about is the right here and the right now. 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, Wabi, I mean, you talked about how you're, when working for the Vikings, you have all this information that is available to you. There's, there's so much more behind the curtain that's going on. What, just breeze through, what would a, a day in the life, an average day, not a game day be like when you're working for a big organization like the Vikings? Yeah, well, I, I'll give you one, one little anecdote about it that I hope will sort of shed light on just the different mindset you have when you're an employee of a team compared to a fan or a regular media member. When, you know, I I went to every road game for 15 years with every home and road game. And, you know, we would, we would get on the team, but I would always be on the first set of buses, the early buses that get to the stadium, just because I'm an anxious guy. I love competition. Sunday was the day we built up to, and I just, I'm not going to sit around my hotel room. I want to get to the building. And so I'm on the early buses and it's like, you know, we're leaving the, sometimes we're leaving the hotel at seven 30 or something, you know, for a noon game. And we roll into these stadiums like Kansas city and Buffalo and Denver and Chicago and green Bay um, and Dallas you know, Seattle. And it's like people like, I think we're getting there early. Like it's seven 30. I'm rubbing sleep out of my eye. I'm holding on to a coffee for dear life, trying to get as much down as I can before we get to the stadium. Like these people have been here for like five hours. They're like tailgating and drinking and barbecuing. And like, I'm just like that never for 15 years that never appealed to me. I'm just like, these people are in a good way are crazy. Like what I just, I am not these people. Um, and then now I'm not with the team anymore, you know, for a season and a half, I, I decided to leave and I'm on the outside sort of now looking in and I've gone to some games, um, you know, because I still love the team and support the team and want them to do well. And I'm close with a lot of the guys who are still there and, you know, including the head coach and, um, you know, a lot of the support staff there. And I'm like, this tailgating thing is pretty damn fun. Like, so <laughs> like, I kind of get why people are doing this. Um, and so it's like, you're just, it's just way different. And my point is it's just way different. You're, you're living, a, you're, you're all going to the same event, but you're looking at it a different way. So, you know, a typical game day for me, get to the stadium four, three, four hours before the game, um, you know, figure out the, you know, most people don't find out about the inactives till 90 minutes before the game, but that's one of the first things we figure out when we got there is who's playing and who's not and what color jerseys are we wearing? Cause fans love that stuff on Facebook and Twitter, um, you know, and get a cup of coffee or a hot cup of chicken broth, go out on the field, look at the field surface, walk around, take picture at midfield. That was sort of one of the things I would always do is take a picture at midfield, FaceTime with my kids, um, you know, talk to some of the coaches. What, what are some adjustments you made, you know, on Saturday night? I, I saw practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but any changes from Saturday, maybe get the first play call from the offensive coordinator. That would happen every now and then, like just stuff like that, getting ready for the game. And then an hour, hour and a half before it'd be the pregame shows on TV and radio. And, you know, you're just, you're, you're building up. You're constantly just, you're slowly building up all week. You're building up and all morning on Sunday, you're building up until, kickoff on Sunday. Whereas Marshall mentioned, I sat in between Bursich and PA and did stats and spotting, you know, and which is a really important part of the broadcast. Uh, so whoever is going to be doing it, you know, I know who does it at home, but 
Um, it's a guy named Dave Koob, who's one of my good friends, really important role for, t- for TV or radio. Um, so really enjoyed that emotionally was into it, obviously, because, uh, you know, I love and care about these guys, my coworkers and the players and coaches, we want to do well. And I know what happens on Sunday is going to dictate the next seven days of my life, you know, and Zim's going to be grouchy and crabby or Brett, you know, children's going to be grouchy and crabby all week, or he's going to be happy. Right. And I know that we've got to spend 35 minutes with Zim in the radio studio and TV studio on Wednesdays or Tuesdays. So I hope we win because he's going to give us better answers. And like, these are the things you think about, right? It's not your fantasy team. It's not your tailgating lot. It's not, if you're going to get caught up parking, you know, or in the parking lot after the game, it's like, I'm thinking about all these other things. So it's just very different. Um, a great, great world to live in. And I loved it for 15 years. And, um, you know, I, there are parts of it that I miss. There are parts of it that I needed to get away from, uh, but there are definitely parts of it I miss. One quick question, but, and then we can get into the uh, last week's uh, very disappointing game. Mm-hmm. I, what is one thing that is different sort of substance wise, style wise, between this regime, you know, Spielman and Zimmer versus some of the other regimes that you encountered uh, Hmm. from your years working for the Vikings. Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was really with Rick the whole time. I was there for the first, for Mike Tice's last year. And then the first year of Fran Foley. Uh, If you remember the triangle of authority, Fran. That's right. I I totally forgot about that. It was a complete disaster. Um, you know, and, but, but really I've been with, I I was with Rick the whole time. So I can't really draw a line of distinction between how it's run in other places or how it was run at one point and then how it was, was run with Rick. Cause I really was only with Rick. So, and even though Rick didn't often sit me down and teach me, um, or help me learn, I learned a lot about the business because I was around Rick every day. Um, and everyone does it differently and Rick does it his way. And there are some things that he probably does that another GM would never do uh, and vice versa. But um, so, you know, um, that's the way I, I learned it and knew it. Uh, you know, a really, really high value and premium on draft picks, no matter the round. Sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. And you know, really looking for value in the draft and value in free agent signings. And then whenever the opportunity came around, that was a unique opportunity to get a player or to give a player, he jumped on it. Uh, The Percy Harvin trade to Seattle. I mean, for all the things we can criticize Rick for, I don't think you could have played the Percy Harvin situation any better than Rick did. Um, And um, there are some things that didn't go well, you know, trading for Randy Moss in 2010 was a complete disaster. Uh, but trading for Jared Allen in 2008 was pretty good. So anyway, um, don't really know a different way to do it. Uh, the head coaches were all just drastically different and all of them had some really good qualities. Um, and all of them definitely have some things that are holding, you know, maybe holding them back. I think, um, I think Brad, Childress caught a bad rap. I mean, um, he, he didn't handle, he didn't handle it right. Considering it was Minnesota and Minnesotans are prideful about their state and about their culture. 
And he came in and immediately was like, we got to change it. We got to change the culture here. We got to change this and that. And I think Minnesotans are taken aback by that, even though he was right and the culture needed to be changed. He was too abrasive about it. That got him off on the wrong foot. And it really cast a shadow over the fact that he went six and 10, eight and eight, 10 and six, 12 and four, Brett Favre, NFC title game. Like it, he, he, he built it. He built it a good way. Um, the only, you know, only thing he was missing is really the most important thing. And that's the franchise quarterback, but he found a way to get to the NFC title game with patch working it along at quarterback. So I had a lot of respect for some of the, some of the ways he did things. And I always think I shake my head and think it's so funny. Kevin Stefanski is like, you know, the cat's ass right now for head coaches. It's like, everyone's looking for Kevin Stefanski. I mean, Kevin Stefanski was literally not literally, but Kevin Stefanski was molded in the NFL by Brad Childress. I, I mean, Kevin Stefanski was Brad Childress's right-hand man when Brad Childress got hired in Minnesota. And, and look, Kevin worked with Norv uh, Turner and Kevin worked with Pat Shermer and Kevin worked with Bill Musgrave and lots of other really talented coaches. So I'm not saying Kevin Stefanski is who he is because of Brad Childress. I mean, Kevin Stefanski's dad, Ed Stefanski is a high level executive in the NBA. So I'm not trying to give Brad Childress all the credit, but it's like a lot of what, a lot of the roots that Kevin Stefanski laid that are still there now for him in Cleveland. And maybe it's a practice, the way practice is scheduled. Uh, maybe it's, you know, the travel schedule, whatever it is, you know, he learned at first from, from Brad Childress. Anyway, Leslie Frazier. And by the way, Brad Childress could, can coordinate offense all day long for me. I mean, he absolutely knows offense. Maybe he's not built to be a head coach because of his personality and the way he handles players or whatever and, and the media, but he can coordinate offense all day long. Leslie Frazier is the inverse of him is true. He can coordinate defense all day long, but I, you know, and I hope he gets a shot to be a head coach again because I'll root like hell for him because uh, he's a great man and he really knows defense. He's principled, not just as a man, but as a coach, like he's got his principles and he sticks to them. And if the players stick to them, it's going to work. Uh, Mike Zimmer is just like, if you think about like quarterbacks and can they play the position or not is one question. And then do they have arm talent or not is another question, right? Like a quarterback can have arm talent, but he doesn't know how to play the position. Um, or a quarterback can really know how to play the position. Ryan Fitzpatrick absolutely knows how to play the position. Does not have the arm talent to be elite, but totally knows how to play the position, right? Um, Mike Zimmer, like his defensive acumen and talent and the way he sees the game and defense is uncanny. It is incredible. Just look at the pressure, pressure packages he dials up every single year. Look at his third down defense every single year. Like, again, like I, I'm just like – if. I, if you could just find a, a great head coach who wasn't an offensive or defensive guy and Zimmer was your defensive coordinator, I think you'd be in really good shape. The guy just absolutely is dialed in on defense. He turned Xavier Rhodes's career around. He turned Everson Griffin's career around. He made it work with Captain Munnerlin in the slot. He, like, Linval Joseph was great for a few years. I mean, he just, Daniel Hunter came out of nowhere. Like, he just, um, he makes mistakes like everyone, but I mean, the guy absolutely knows defense. So I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, they're just, they're just all so totally different though. There's um, it's, 
there's really not a lot of similarities. And it's funny. Um, I'm kind of rambling on here, but like so often you find owners when they change coaches, they, they go from an offensive guy to a defensive guy, then from a defensive guy to an offensive guy, it's just so predictable, you know, and that totally happened during my time with the Vikings. No doubt. You know, I wanted to (laughs) just make a comment about a couple of things. You, you mentioned uh, Brad and his offense. Look at the game plan he put together in the 09 NFC title game that, I mean, you look at the stats of that game, they pretty much doubled up New Orleans in terms of yards first down without the turnovers there in the Super Bowl. So, and and I remember distinctly watching Brad get interviewed before that game is, you know, on the sidelines, the Superdome's going crazy. And, and he, he just, he, he got this question from the sideline reporter and he said, you know, basically I'm paraphrasing, but I have a lot of confidence in our team. I believe we're going to win this game. And, yeah. and I was like, Whoa, like he yeah. is so confident right now. Yeah. And he had reason, he had reason to be, um, those were the best two teams in the, in the league that year. And, uh, and the Vikings outplayed them as we know. So yep, that's right. <laughs> and then, and then Zim, I would say, I can feel how badly he wants to be the guy to win the first Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a good and way to put it. He said yeah. it. He said those words multiple times. Like somebody's going to do it. I want it to be me. And yeah. I love how open he is about that. Yeah. And makes me root for him more. But getting to the, this this first game, um, you, you know, I think a lot of people saw the Bengals in terms of last year and in saw it as a game that the Vikings had to win. And and we may look back at at it as, as that it's a, it was a bad loss no doubt what was what was your biggest takeaway from that game yeah I've, I've thought about this so much guys about what is what are the main takeaways and I just I mean I know the penalties are terrible and all that and I, I just I don't know if I really have one I just I think for Vikings fans it was just so frustrating because you just felt it was just so stereotypical or typical like you know, it's just what they are with Kirk Cousins, I think, and this offensive line. Like, it's the same song every year for, like, the last six years, seven years. When's the last time the Vikings offensive line was, like, good? Like, like actually good? Like, I think maybe 09. I know in 2012, Adrian ran for, for 2,000 yards. But, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. I, I, I mean, they had some good players on there on that line that year, but. I mean, maybe 17's line kind of figured it out a, a little bit, but that was a little bit of lightning in a bottle with, with Keenum too. And the defense really carried that team in 17. So I don't know. When's the last time guys, the Vikings had a good offensive line? I don't know. It's been a I long think I go 09. 09. Okay. So yeah. to me, my main takeaway was just like, God, again, like this is what we all have to talk and write about again. We have to talk about, the deficiency at offensive guard and wonder if Garrett Bradbury's a bust and is the first round pick ever going to play? And is Brian O'Neill really good or not? Like, I think Brian O'Neill is really good. I see some people trying to, you know, throw shade at him, but I think he's really good. I think Bradbury can be good if the guards are okay next to him, but they weren't okay next to him in Cincinnati. Um, so I just, to me, the main takeaway was just like, seriously this offensive line is another is a talker once again i thought the defense looked really fast good and sharp early in the game like the way they were playing early in the game i i thought i'm like this is what i expected 
this is what a Mike Zimmer defense should look like. And they're only going to get better from here. Wow. And then I just think the game flow just wore them down. Um, so, you know, um, to me, though, the main takeaway was just the frustration of the offensive line. Yeah, I, I off of that, um, you know, I could ask you which which lineman concerns you most. But, um, you know, that that could be a, a different answer depending on the day. I, I do think I do think Bradbury third year at center. It's a big, big year. Uh, for him being right in the middle of that line, but you know, the, how, how much do you think changes once Darisaw is healthy? And then maybe once Wyatt Davis is ready to step in, because clearly they drafted those two guys with the intention of playing them well, right away. Certainly Darisaw starting right away and maybe even Davis starting right away. Yeah. I think if Darisaw is back is healthy and is, 80% of what they hope, like what they hope. I mean, because he's a first round pick and he's a left tackle. So they hope he's a hall of famer or an all pro. Okay. But you know, um, you know, I hope I'm going to hit a 10 team teaser on Sunday too. Like, but you know, that's not, that's not going to happen. So let's just say he's 80% of that. I think it makes a huge difference for the Vikings because it, it calms cousins down in the pocket. It protects them and gives them more time, but it also just calms them down. I mean, you can't feel great knowing Rashad Hill is the one protecting your blind. Like I'd almost move Brian O'Neill over there. So at least cousins can see Rashad Hill mess it up and get out of the way. Like right now he can't even see it. Like, you know, at least, you know, O'Neill's going to protect you. And I don't mean to be too hard on Rashad. Cause I, I like him and I actually, as a guy, and I actually think, if he's your swing tackle, like if he's your third tackle, that's great. But if he's your starting left tackle, that's, that's not great. So big, big difference to me if the first round pick is back. And then if one of the guards can be solidified, just one, I think it makes a big difference for the play caller. Cause, and cause you set up your protections knowing where your liability is. I mean, the Vikings got by, with Anthony Herrera as their right guard in 09. Anthony Herrera. I mean, like you got Hutchinson and you, you know, you got Sullivan and you got McKinney and Lo like you're, you're set at all those other positions. You just got to get by sometimes. You got to get by at some positions, right? And they got by. They got by with Cedric Griffin as a second corner because they were so good everywhere else. They got by with Anthony Herrera. The Vikings can't get by with Ezra Cleveland or Dakota Dozier if they're good at the other spots, but they're not good at the other spots yet. Yeah, it, uh, it was really, we got tired of having to raise the offensive line as the issue year after year. It, it really um, has been disappointing that even with the, using the high draft picks on the O-line, it hasn't seemed to come together. The other than the O-line and the penalties, the same story we always come back to is Kirk. And is he a Super Bowl caliber quarterback? And yeah, I went on a rant a little bit last week where I basically was begging him. I know he's a Midwestern guy, like we all are, but when is he going to get mad? Because like everyone seems to basically and say good, even though starting quarterback, whether it's the coach or the GM or the defensive end receivers yeah. and he just like 
you just want him to get pissed off and, you yep. know, and, and do something. So can he to a Super Bowl? I, I don't want to say he can't because he plays the position or usually he plays it the, the way you should play it. And, you know, he's not often the reason they lost. He's really not, you know, like the perfect analogy, I think, and I've used this before, but not with you guys. So I'll use it now. If the house is burning down, you got to find, like, you got to look around and find someone to run inside, make sure everyone is out. And if someone's not out, they got to carry him out. You don't want, you're not, when you see, you're not pointing to cousins to do that. Right. You're not. Okay. You, you're, you're going to someone else to do that. Okay. But like, if the house is not on fire, the house is good. Like Kirk cousins can operate inside the house. Like he can cook a meal and he can like take the garbage out and put the kids to bed. And like, he's good. Like, you know, but like if the house is on fire, you don't want cousins in there. And can you win a super bowl with that guy as, as your guy? That's the question. I don't know if you can, I don't, I really don't know. And nothing is impossible. And I hope it happens. It would be great. I would love to see Zimmer bring a Lombardi trophy here. I would love it. I would love it for my friends who are still with the team. I'm not sure cousins, that it's going to happen with cousins. And again, it's not that cause he's going to lose them the games. I just, I don't know if he can win them the games they shouldn't win. He did it in Green Bay like a few years ago when the Vikings scored 77 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> like he did it then, but like he hasn't done it since then. Like where's the games that they won that they had no business winning and Cousins did it? I just don't see it. Yeah. He almost did it. I mean, he was set us up to do it there in the fourth quarter. We did not deserve to win that game. But even, even when he seems to do – everything right there at the end to try and win the game that we have no business winning with the way we're playing. It doesn't happen. So I would say, I would say the one time I can remember is the Broncos game at home um, a couple of years ago. And and I was, I, I uh, was very lucky to be at that game. I've never, now I wasn't at the Minneapolis miracle, but I have not heard us bank stadium that loud for a regular season game. Yeah. It was unbelievable. They had Vic Fangio, had Dalvin Cook stopped. I mean, they had no running game at all. And uh, the the throws that Kirk made to watch those in person, the, the arm talent's unbelievable. Yeah. And like, yeah. like you said. Very good, Marshall. Yep, you're right. That, that's an example. <laughs> yeah, but 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 to your point, it, it hasn't happened a lot. And there are some times where the quarterback, because of the impact that a quarterback can make, has to just win you a game. And, uh, and that hasn't happened enough. I, I would, I would agree. Switching over to the, to the defensive side, I have a few here to, to close here uh, with Wabi. And by the way, you can follow Wabi on Twitter at Wabi. It's really easy. One <laughs> 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 of the easier ones you'll find. Uh, the, on the defensive side, you know, I was listening to the broadcast and by the way, I encourage everybody because I always hear people complain about the TV announcers. Just just mute it, and you can get it synced up to PA and 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 Bursich and and Lever. You you know, there's a way to do it. Um, I, yeah. I I put it out on my Twitter, so you can look at that. But anyway, uh, Ben Lieber made a very interesting point about because they were doing some more three four, and and some different types of fronts 
And there were a lot of times where Daniil Hunter was actually standing up in a two point stand. Yeah. And, and, and Ben, Ben was kind of questioning whether that suits Daniil. Now he had the one big sack on a third down. Um, but we didn't see him, you know, make the kind of impact we're used to him seeing throughout the game. Um, do you think that two point stance suits his suits his game? And might we see some adjustments going forward? Just from from it didn't suit my eye. I, I didn't love it. Just looking at it now, my this this really stinks. My game pass is like I can't get the all twenty two on NFL Game Pass right now, and it's really pissing me off. So I I couldn't watch the game back. So a I don't like. Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson have forgotten more about football than I can remember. Okay. So I'm not going to sit here and question their strategy or tactics, but it didn't look right or good to me. And maybe it'll get better. I don't know, but I just think, I just think you got to be really careful with it. Make sure it's getting better. If it's getting better, keep using it. If it's not, got to go back to how it was because you're just doing the offense a favor. It's like, I remember like the Randy, remember the Randy ratio, like really like, like, like you're down at the goal line and you're taking Carter and Moss out of the game. Like, you know, cause you want to be, you know, you want to pound the rock and you want to be tougher. Like, like the defense is like, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Like, <laughs> try to, be, You know? So I just, I just want them. I just want to guard against that. I didn't love it. But if it gets better over time, they should keep doing it. It is a different look. It's kind of cool. I saw Everson in the, you know, rushing from the middle of the line of the um, of the defensive line, and I like that a little bit. So I don't know. I, they probably got some wrinkles up their sleeve. So I'll give it some time. What about yeah, you? Uh, yeah, I, I I kind of agreed with what Ben was saying. It didn't look natural, Daniel. I mean, he can yeah. do it, he can do it, but it didn't seem to really suit his strengths. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, I think we'll see him with his hand on the ground more. But how about Michael Pierce? My God. Yep. I, mean, I mean, that's why they wouldn't got him, right? You want to single up. Yeah, but, and we knew he could stop the run. But if you want to single him up, the quickness yeah. he showed getting past the, the power and then the quickness, man, I mean, that's what they've been missing, that middle thrust um, in, the, in the pass rush. So that was exciting. You're, you're right, Marshall. It's yeah. what they've been missing. They thought they had it in Sharif Floyd. That didn't work out. They yeah. got Sheldon Richardson. That's, you know, here hit and miss. You're right. They've been looking for that. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome to see. And you know how pumped he is to play because he yeah. sat out last year. So yeah. uh, that was really cool. One more thing on the D, Anthony Barr. Um, he, he's it's kind of been an enigma like this whole time yeah. with Vikings in terms of the fans. But we always hear from people inside the building. And that's why I want to ask you. You know, he does things that that people don't see. And, and I think we did see last year what happened when he wasn't on the field. It was disastrous, um, not just because he wasn't out there, but other reasons, too. But what do you think? Because they could get him back as early as this week. Yep. What do you think he what do you think he does for the defense? I'm running the risk of dying on this hill, and I don't know if it's the hill on which to die. Um but I, I'm one of those inside the building guys that really talks up bar. That's even though I'm not inside the building anymore, that's me. Like I, I just feel like there are pages of Zimmer's defensive playbook that he just can't put into the game plan in a week if bar isn't there. And I just think there are, there's practice time 
from the opposition dedicated to 55 on purple. Like, okay, he he's here. And it's like, so I, you know, I mentioned Zimmer's got plays in his playbook that he cannot run if bars not playing. I think the other offense has plays. It cannot run when bar is playing. So even though you're right, totally an enigma, abs, a hundred percent, absolutely an enigma. I think he's the caliber of athlete and really twitchy and just got, he's, he's a little bit of a man among boys at times because of his combination of size and athleticism and that he just makes it really tough on opposing offenses, but he's not reliable in terms of health and that's hurting. And right now it's like, what's his cap number? I don't know if you guys know offhand, it's not small. I know, I know it's not small. And Nick Vigil, I mean, he wasn't terrible at all. And he's not Anthony Barr. But, like, if Zim can scheme up stuff for Nick Vigil and some of these other linebackers, is Barr worth a million and a half a game? I just – I don't know, you know. So, um, I love the guy. AB's a great guy. He's California cool. And I think he's means a lot to the scheme. I think you're a different defense when you have bar at nine or 10, nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. I think like the 2017 Vikings had bar had peak bar, you know, it was like other teams just got embarrassed by the Vikings defense and bar was a big part of it, but. I totally agree. I, I, I wanted him on my team ever since he played my USC Trojans and absolutely destroyed Matt Barkley from oh, coming. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was his last year at UCLA. And I was like, when the Vikings took him, I'm like, good. <laughs> yeah. can so what do you think about life. Kendricks? Cause you watched Kendricks too then. Yeah, I watched, I watched Kendricks. Um, so it was like a little towards, I think I was out of school by then, but I, I liked him. I liked him too. Um, yeah. you know, I, it, when I watched these UCLA guys and then on a totally different team, but Zach Levine, I wanted him on the, on the yeah. Wolves too. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I do see the, the good in these UCLA guys, even though yeah. I'm not rooting for them when they're there. Um, yeah. it has been fun to root for, for Barr and Kendricks and I mean, their relationship has been cool to follow too. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I, yeah. And I don't want to overhype Barr. I don't want to, I don't want to sell them too hard. It's just, I think when you have peak Anthony Barr, you have something special. The problem is you rarely have peak Anthony Barr. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. When he does do, like, he'll make a play, like like that play in Tampa, I think his rookie year. Yes, he yes. He stripped Safarian Jenkins and just went to the house and won the game. Yeah. I mean, just some unreal athletic uh, feats. And hope to see him uh, Hope to see him this Sunday um, yep, in, in Arizona. It's we can more- have two more. Two more quick questions, Matt, and then I'll close with one. Well, as Marshall knows, I'm more of a Anthony Barr, I must say, hater, but it's, you know, what it's interesting to hear you say, Wabi. It's like he's more than not just about sort of past stats, because I think what we always heard about him was this freak athleticism. And so I think a lot of people expected, you know, he's going to be intercepted. Yeah, going to be, you know, padding all these, you know, getting to these sacks and causing fumbles. And there's those stats have never seemed to be there, at at least at the expectation level that we all envision. If I heard 
what you're saying correctly, it, it sounds like he just does a lot more than we realize and then shows up at the stat sheet. Is that I think a fair way? That's kind of what I'm, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Like, let's say you've got like, I'm going to use an extreme example, but it's to make a point. So like when bar is peak bar, like 2017, Anthony Barr, it's like you're playing, you know, 2021 Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey, and you hear all week, McCaffrey can run, McCaffrey can catch, McCaffrey's a three down back, McCaffrey, 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 you know, and it's like you play the Panthers and you put bar on McCaffrey and McCaffrey had, you know, 16 carries for 84 yards and three catches for 12 yards, you know, like, yeah, McCaffrey was still good. He had 84 yards rushing and three catches. That's pretty good for a running back. It's not good for McCaffrey, though. And it's because you put Anthony Barr on him. No, that, that's, a, that's a good way of describing it. Other, we talked about Pierce. Any other uh, free agent, defensive player, or player that really out to you who disappointed? Oh, who disappointed? Um... It, and who else stood out? Who, if we're trying to be uh, excited about the rest of the season, well, who should we feel? I, high I on think it's easy to pick on Breland. That wasn't great. Yeah, you know, that wasn't great. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I'll give him another chance. I never, I don't know what kind of a guy he is. He might be a great guy, great guy to have around. I always thought when we played a team that had Breland, I'm kind of like, let's go after him. When I would watch film, I'd be like, that's the guy we, and maybe he's always played with another good corner. So it's like, well, I know I'm not going to go after the other corners. So we got to go after Breland. I don't know, but I, I kind of remember wanting to go after Bashad Breland. Um, so that was a little disappointing, but I'll give him more than one game. The safety woods. Uh, I'll have another of those. Yes, please. <laughs> that guy um, is like a more controlled and a more refined and a more skillful Andrew Sandejo. Like he comes downhill and absolutely lays the wood on people. I saw it in the pre- in a preseason game. I saw it on a third down with uh, I think it was T. Higgins had a ball right in his hands and I mean, oh yes. <laughs> destroyed him. I mean, he but came yeah. down. I'm yeah. So I'm all about that. I'm all about, uh, I'm all about what Zim and woods being together. I think Zim loves woods, the type of player he is. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Harrison Smith woods combo. That's a good one. Last, last question for you and appreciate uh, you, you sticking around uh, so long for us. I, ha- I have to ask this one because you had the opportunity to work with Brett Favre. And yeah. you don't you don't get to be around legends of the game like that too often. Yeah. I mean, you've been around a lot of all pros, but Hall of Famer, especially the level that he is and the mystique of Favre is another story. What what was he like? He was a tremendous leader of teammates. Um, the best I've ever seen. He is another guy who was always on the first bus. And I remember so many times like Phil Lodeholt was a rookie that year. And like Brett Favre would go back to the, and sit in the very back of the the coach bus, very back and sit next to Phil Lodeholt and just like mess around with them before a game before on the way to the stadium, you know? So I would see that, but then they're like, I'd walk into the facility on a Monday, you know, and like Favre's there studying film with Sage Rosenfels and, you know, Steve Hutchinson. Right. And then, 
after practice, Favre's got his arm around Percy Harvin and he he's jumping on Adrian Peterson's back and like, he's just, and he's not, he wasn't like a spineless guy who would just try to fit in with everyone. He, he had a backbone and he was his own man, but he just was, he was gregarious. He was, he was charismatic. He was, like you said, a legend coming in. He just, he was an absolute treat to watch and be around. It was totally awesome. What a great leader. And again, another guy who just played the position a certain way that was fun to watch, you know, and, you know, I mean, I think the worst play he made that year was thrown across his body to Sidney Rice and the interception, right? But he did things like that that got us to the title game too. So, um, and he did plays like that his whole career and he's in the Hall of Fame because of it. So you got you to gotta ride and die with it. Um, and I'll, like, that year was awesome. And why do you ponder passing right there? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, my God. Yeah, oh, people, God. The diehards know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can do a whole show on that. We can come back you yeah. know, next week and just do a whole show on just that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we appreciate this show, uh, Wavi. Lots of, lots of good stuff. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll let you go. Talk to you soon. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to listening to more of your shows, and hopefully we can do it again. It was fun. All right. Thanks, Bobby. All right. Thanks again to Mike Wabshaw. Again, you can catch his work at VEASAN, the Vegas Sports and Information Network, and for Vikings coverage, Vikings Territory, and Purple PTSD. Those are a couple of blog sites where you can find Wabi's work. You can follow him on Twitter at Wabi. As we said, very simple, at Wabi on Twitter. And uh, boy, Matt, that was that was great stuff. And as I uh, as I said, we're, we'll we'll react to more of the uh, the game stuff that he was talking about with the Vikings and Bengals. Didn't get a chance to ask him about Arizona, so we can talk about that as well. But like I said at the beginning of the interview, uh, he writes for Purple PTSD. We all had a little sports related PTSD. Sports related. Don't uh, don't get me in trouble for saying it. Not the real PTSD, but. Certainly uh, sports-related PTSD, and uh, man, that was rough right from the get-go. I mean, first play of the game was a false start. You, you didn't even have just the O-lineman false starting. C.J. Ham, the Pro Bowl fullback, was false starting, uh, holding penalties up and down. Uh, it, was just, it was just really sloppy. Yeah, I, we somehow signed Brian O'Neill to a huge contract extension, and then he isn't lined up on the line of scrimmage correctly. I mean, they, they, yeah. they're just... He was good aside from that, but yeah, oh, that he was, was good aside from that. But it was just everything when it rains, it pours, and everything that could possibly go badly from an O line standpoint and the penalty standpoint happened. And it, like you said, it was just sort of typical Vikings. You just, you, every season gives you some fresh hope that they can go out and actually put it all together. They made the acquisitions in the off season to, to at least have the top of the depth chart, you know, across almost every position look like it's going to be positive. And this is a game, you know, Wabi actually said it on Twitter, like this was a game you had to win and now you need to go and find another game. You're not expected to win. And um, it's just, it's really heartbreaking um, and really raises questions about how good this team could actually be. And, and, and if they're not very good, it raises questions about 
the future of the coach, the future of the GM, the future of Kirk Cousins at quarterback. And, and we don't want to go down that path. No, especially this early in the season. And now you already have people saying, oh, they could start 0-4. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess if you're looking at the, the teams, to, to, to me, um, well, get into that more in a sec. The, the thing that really pissed me off, aside from the, the, uh, the Vikings play, I'm sorry, but those two reviews that they messed up. And, and, and then I learned after the game, and what we're talking about, of course, is the first one, which is the more obvious one, when they called Justin Jefferson short of the goal line and then placed the ball at the one-yard line. I mean, if you're going to place it outside the, the goal line, it's be at the inch line, not the one-yard line. Uh, but he was in clearly off the ground with the ball over the plane should have been called that way on the field. Wasn't they review it and they still get it. wrong. The people in New York still get it wrong. And that cost us a timeout very easily could have cost us the game in regulation. I mean, luckily Greg Joseph, it's a 53 yarder, but you have that timeout, you can get closer and maybe you can try for a touchdown to win the game. So that was really brutal. And then the Dalvin one, I mean, it was a little tougher to tell, like, but it looked like his butt was on the ground with the ball and then it got pried loose. And, and the only reason they seemed to call it a fumble on the field was because the Bengals players started pointing <laughs> crazily and, and, and motioning. And that was really, really annoying. But here's what really made me mad after the game, I found out like, we're like the sixth game on Fox. We're like the number six crew. So we only get a certain number of cameras. Like if that was Sunday night football, they probably would have had a better camera angle. Like how do they, this is the national football league. How do you not have the same cameras at every single game? I don't care if it's on NBC, ESPN, or, or, uh, or streamed on YouTube. I mean, they, get the camera angles right. You're multi-billion dollar industry and get the call right. For the love of God, get the call right. Not to say they would have won for sure, they, they were still maybe a little outside field goal range, but it looked like and felt like after everything that went wrong, like you mentioned earlier, Kirk did a great job helping get them back into the game. And then Zach Taylor also made a boneheaded decision that might've been a fireable offense if the Bengals lost going for it on that fourth down from his own 30 up by 14, that totally shifted the, the, the momentum of the game in the Vikings favor. They took advantage. Greg Joseph makes a kick, but man, that, that was, it's unacceptable to get those two calls wrong. And the Dalvin one blew it. I mean, that, that was the game. Yeah. What was really confusing is what they had this new way of doing reviews this year. And, and supposedly that was going to make things better. And I, I don't remember a game where there were two, what seemed to be very straightforward, obvious calls. Uh, not go the right way. It leaves you scratching your head and, and you hit the nail on the head. And we said this on our Twitter, which, you know, we uh, be sure to follow us and tweet at us at Martian and Matt. Uh, I think what was really irritating is there's been this shift in football to say, well, we don't want to, if a turnover occurs, we don't want to be the reason why it doesn't happen. And that referee had, you know, the, the umpire, he, he, knew that he didn't know what happened. He didn't right. see a fumble occur. His gut seemed to indicate based on his reaction that he didn't think there was a turnover, but they've been 
taught now to side to err on the side of it must have been a turnover. And like you said, the Bengals players just started pointing. And because of, you know, that training that they've uh, put into these guys' head the last couple of years led us to potentially lose the game because then they determined it wasn't indisputable evidence, even though common sense and arguably there was enough there to say that it wasn't a fumble. It's so just the whole thing was a mess uh, and really ruined the, you know, the fight coming back uh, that the team had. They didn't have any business winning that game and it raises a lot of questions for the rest of the season um, you know, and, and some people, yeah, but that doesn't excuse of, them getting it wrong. It doesn't, no, you know, they got to sure. get it right. And good teams find a way to win sloppy games like that. And it looked like the Vikings were, were going to, and by the way, it, it, like you mentioned, they are now taught to do that. I don't disagree, but they put in a remedy for that somewhat, at least with the fumble rule to now where you can, you can overturn, say he had fumbled and there was a clear recovery. You can overturn that. Now, it does have to be a clear recovery, but that somewhat mitigated the problem before if they didn't call a fumble on the field. So I don't yeah. know that that just that just really. So and who the hell's doing these reviews anyway? Like some I, I think some they're anonymous, like some, some faceless guy in New York. In New York who, who, now, can the media I mean, yeah. ask him questions after the game? Can the, the you know or the NFL going to come out with that? with these BS statements that they come out with, Oh, we got the call wrong. You know, I didn't see them do that this time. Maybe they're not doing that anymore because it's stupid, but everybody knows everybody with a pair of eyes saw the Jefferson one was for sure wrong. The Dalvin one. Yes. A little more doubt, but I still think, but on the ground with ball in hand, then it was ripped out after he's already done. And the thing that's really frustrating about it is, you know, there are reasons to not like Kirk Cousins, um, whether it's he takes up too much of a salary cap, you know, hit on the team, whether it's, you know, he, he hasn't been able to lead them to the playoffs in the majority of the seasons that he has been the starting quarterback, whether it's this idea that he shies away in the big moments and, and can't perform in prime time. You know, but he did everything that you would ask of him in that fourth quarter and overtime to put them in a position to win. And yet you still have people going out and say, well, this, this, you know, Kirk, it Kirk's the problem. You know, Kirk, how about, Kirk that, is throw, how about that throw to Conklin in the, on that oh, last time beautiful. in the fourth quarter? It was cold, cold blooded. Did he miss a few throws in the first half? Some throws were a little bit behind. Yes. I thought JJ dropped a couple balls that were, that were catchable and, and, and Ben Lieber and his analysis after the game, Put out some good stuff on Twitter after re-watching the game. He said JJ didn't really attack the ball. And I, I agree with that. Um well, Phelan, I, Phelan was fantastic, but JJ wasn't wasn't totally himself in the game. Well, and I think the other thing is when when you have an offensive system that is set up so much by running the ball and play action, and that's what opens up the offense. When when your own line is putting you in first and twenties and first and fifteen so much. It, and everyone can just sit back, even the best quarterbacks with the best talents and the best ability to play the position. It's hard when you're placed in that position every single time. Now, if, if you're comparing Kirk to Pat Mahomes, of course, he's going to come up short compared to, you know, because that, that's just a guy that is you know, once in a you know generation talent um, and an ability to play the position. But, you know, he did a lot of great things in the game despite everything that the O-line did to put him in a 
poor position. But uh, I think there are things to take away that are positive, as uh, Wabi said, a lot of good on the defense. How about the special teams? I, I That was my uh, big fear, I said, in, in our previous podcast. And Greg Joseph. Big, big kick, up. big punts. By, by Jordan Berry started a little slow, but man, that punt in overtime to pin him at the five. Um, fantastic. Fantastic punt. At Harrison Hand on special teams. Fantastic. But the third and longs was the next thing I, I wanted to mention. And I wanted to touch one more offense, one more defense, and then Arizona, then we'll be done because we could go all day. And like we told, we were talking with Wabi off air. When, when they lose, there's always more to, to get angry about and to talk about than when they win. So hopefully we'll have a shorter show next week. But uh, anyway, the third and longs was absolutely right. And, and, and honestly, when you don't have protection, it takes away one of the things Kirk does best, and that's the deep ball, and especially off play action. And, you, you know, now, when you go play action, the pass protection doesn't need to be quite as good because there's the threat of the run. But when you're in total dropback passing situations, as they were in, you know what their average distance to go was on third down late in the fourth quarter? 13 and a half. You can't, you can't win the game when that's. That is, yeah. that is just awful. And that's due to penalties. That's due to some sacks. Um, but a, a lot of that is on, on the offensive line. And this team, I mean, they're kind of, and I always go back to this. Zimmer wants to play kind of like he did in 2015, but just with a little bit better quarterback playing and better deep ball than Teddy Bridgewater has. And you remember what they did in that season. It was always close in the first half. Adrian was led the league in rushing that year. Um, and Dalvin can do a lot more. He's a lot more dynamic than Adrian was at that point in his career. Adrian was a runner, but Dalvin can, can pass protect, he can catch, he can run. Anyway, but they, 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 it was close in the first half. The defense would keep it close. The running game was good. And then they just wear you down, pound, pound, pound. And it was a good run blocking O-line. Not a great pass blocking O-line, good run blocking O-line. And they just pounded on you and just wore you down. And if they had the lead, then they were able to go play action and, and, just, and just grind it out and win it with a running game with a small lead in the fourth quarter. And that's why they won close games. And they didn't turn the ball over. And they didn't in this game either. Um, but they they have the potential to be that team with more explosiveness. But the offensive line has to play. The other thing was they were not running the ball effectively on first down. And I got to the point where I was like, God, they keep running it on first down. And then they're in second and long, third and long. And they're getting into these obvious passing situations if they can run the ball effectively on first down early, then you get to the point where the play action game on first down comes into play. And then you also get into third and shorts. And, and when they can do those two things, when the play action is working and when they can get into third and short, this is a very dangerous offense. But when they're in obvious passing situations, Kirk can't do what he does best. I mean, how many times could he do the play action and roll out to either side in that game? They couldn't. And the deep, the deep passing game, you can say they should have taken more shots. You can't put your quarterback in that situation when the pass protection was when, like Bobby said, like, like when we're shot Hills protecting your blind side. He doesn't have enough time. In that he situation. Yeah. He does. You can't throw the deep ball. If you don't have enough time 
to let the receiver make the move and, and, and run the route and get the separation. Uh, you know, Kirk just doesn't have enough time to then put a good throw on it. He was, he was on his butt otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. The defensive, the defensive uh, side of the ball. Um, I did think the the run defense up the middle was good. They struggled a bit in the second half containing the perimeter. Joe Mixon got going a little bit yeah. too many rushing yards allowed for, for Mike Zimmer's liking and the defensive staff and, and players. But uh, I mean, the scheming by Zimmer, I mean, how about, how about Nick Vigil coming untouched on Joe Burrow early in the game? I mean, untouched when a guy comes in untouched from the linebacker position, you know, you out schemed him. It was a gotcha kind of play. And that's what Zimmer did in that situation. I mean, you had Michael Pierce just, Beat the beat the center a couple. Pierce times. was awesome. Yeah, Pierce to get to get middle thrust like that, and I do think you know Breland struggled, sure, but also that brings up the point: what happened to Cam Dantzler to the point where he was inactive? Cam Dantzler was inactive because he doesn't play special teams, and he was so buried on the depth chart uh, corner wise. So Chris Boyd and Harrison Hand, who play special teams and corner, were were active. So you know. I don't think it's just Bashad Breland. I think someone else, hopefully Cam Dantzler at some point, steps up and takes hold of, of that position. But you could tell they got Bashad Breland because they weren't confident in Cam. And uh, and I think that that's something to watch going forward. Patrick Peterson, aside from that one time where he, where he didn't drop far enough on the cover two and they passed it right over his head, um, really aside from that one play, didn't notice anything bad with him. Yeah, the, the defense played well enough to win. That was and that was very rare last year. Um, Breland's got to play better, or Danzler, you know, has to step up. That that was a concern. Um, but they got more pro basically all of last year from the line. Pierce was amazing. Um, you know, they they obviously they they stumbled. Uh, big conversion that set up the game-winning field goal in OT. Uh, Zimmer and um, the uh, our defense were saying that they knew it was coming and played it right. And Harrison just fell down, and you know, so we lost that that step there. But um, that sucked. They might have won the game after that because yeah. they yep. get it at midfield. They get it at midfield. You go about ten more yards, and big big leg Greg Joseph. Bangs are through to win the game. <laughs> yeah, so they they definitely. I, I think the defense overall, you can. Uh, there are things to improve on, no doubt, but can feel good about where they're at in comparison to last year, and that you know with Zimmer, they're just going to as long as they stay healthy, build on it and get better and put in more wrinkles. Um, you know this this game was really about the offense. It was about. Um, you know, and, and the refs with those two blown uh, reviews, but really it was about, uh, it comes down to the offensive line. And we've known this from the beginning, the offensive line was probably going to make or break the season and they've got to play better. They, they've got to play cleaner. And if they can protect Kirk and open up a few lanes for Dalvin, the team is going to find greater success. And which yeah, brings us to Arizona. Was, that was much worse than we thought though. From the yes, oh, for that was that was uh, that many false starts. I know it's on the road and you haven't been, played in front of a crowd in a while, but that's unacceptable. Um, period. The the 
I do think it was interesting though, what Wabi said about Darasa. I think that really gives Kirk a lot more confidence when he doesn't. Now he has Chandler Jones coming from the blind side going up against Rashad Hill. You're going to have to put a tight end over there. I think you'll see more uh, two tight end sets in this game and try to maybe run at Chandler Jones and get him tired out. Um, they, they've done okay against some of the elite pass rushers over the years who, that you think are going to have massive games and they come up with a plan to, to scheme against them. I, I think of Cam Jordan uh, when they played the saints in the playoffs uh, both times they did okay against him. So, um, but, but yeah, looking ahead to Arizona and that's our last topic. Um, it's going to be an interesting game. I mean, Tyler Murray had five touchdowns uh, in, in week one, they crushed Tennessee, a good Tennessee team in Nashville, um, five sacks for Chandler Jones in that game. And, and uh, Kyler's can be tough to contain. And then you have DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk, um, just a ton of weapons offensively for Arizona. Uh, what's, what are your thoughts on that one? So we uh, retweeted next gen stats had just, I, I thought a very great graphic showing uh, Kyler Murray against the Titans completed 14 of 18 passes for 174 yards and three touchdowns. That was on quick passes. So they really just, they, he was super effective getting the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, and it's generated a lot of points for them and, and gave him a lot of confidence. And so what, what do we do defensively to to stop those quick passes and not let them get a rhythm going. Um, you know, and I think if we can do that and it really puts more pressure on him to have to do more with his legs, we've struggled, you know, last year in particular against more mobile quarterbacks, but you know, he's still young. He's still learning. I feel the defense once again is going to, they're going to have to make Kyler Murray turn the ball over and they're going to have to make him, have to hold on to the ball longer and not break too many big plays with his legs. If they can do that with him, I think they'll put our offense in a better position. Uh, and then as you were saying, it's about how does the offensive line handle Chandler Jones? They can handle Chandler Jones and establish the run um, with hopefully the defense assisting them with some short fields. I, I think we can pull off this clearly now with what would be an upset. Yeah, I think they're four-point underdogs, um, at least when the line came out. That might go up because people are going to overreact to both teams, <laughs> um, really, off, off week one. Um, I think two guys to watch. Dalvin Cook is going to come in pissed because he technically fumbled, and he's going to be mad at himself for that, even though they, they got the call wrong in, in both of our opinions. And I, I think Bashad Breland, um, you know, from what I, I've heard from some people, he's kind of been up and down throughout his career. Good, ba- good game, and bad game, good game, the bad game. Um, and uh, hopefully he is able to bounce back as well, because I think he's he's got a lot of pride. He's a vet. Um, he's a Super Bowl champion. He picked off Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl. Um, so, That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this guy's played in huge games before with, with Kansas City, he played for Green Bay, too. So. Um, I think those two to watch. And the last thing I'll say is, I mean, I think this is really kind of a, a big pivot point early in the season because you come home for three games after this. 
and, and you, you win this game, you feel awfully good about yourselves coming home for three games, uh, including that Seattle game. And we never get to play them at home. It seems like finally get them at home. I think for the first time since that Blair Walsh miss outdoors. Um, so they've never played in us bank stadium. And especially if you can win that Arizona game, get the fans feeling good again and just blow the roof off that place for the Seattle game. Be so loud in there for an afternoon, uh, afternoon contest. You know, people have a little bit more time to, to uh, get themselves oiled up before that, uh, that game. And, uh, and, and then you have, and then you have Cleveland at home and Detroit at home. I mean, it's really a swing game. I think to the point where, you know, you come back one and one, you're feeling good. You come back on two. I don't think it'd be, I'd be panicking as much as most uh, Vikings fans would be because they'd both be road games. Um, but then you kind of are totally anxiety filled that whole Seattle game, because then you, you follow in three and it's like, here we go last year. Again, remember we got in that big hole and almost got back into the playoffs with the schedule, the way it is this year, that's going to be tough to do. So this is a, uh, so what's, this is a pivotal. So what's game. your prediction then for Arizona? I think they, I think week one is weird. I think week one, you never really know. And that's the only thing that really scared me about the Cincinnati game, aside from some offensive weapons they have. But um, I think week one's weird. I think they find a way to squeak this one out by, by, by three or so points. I think it's a pretty high scoring game. Pretty, pretty, pretty high scoring game. I'll go, I'll go. 34. Uh, no, I'll go 30, 27, Minnesota. And I'm going to go the opposite and say we lose by three points. I'm going to, but I think Zimmer's D once again, takes a step forward. I'm going to go 24, 21 Cardinals. Uh, I, I just think while the defense again shows up, I just, until the offensive line, proves differently. I think that they're just going to create headaches um, that prevent our offense from really taking, taking off. Yeah. I hope you're wrong. I think the guy who would prevent that from happening. Number three, three, I think Dalvin cook, I will have a few, he's loose moments in this game and uh, he's, he's, he's going to protect the offensive line in large part on his own by, uh, by establishing their running game. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it, I, I think it'll be fun. Uh, it's an afternoon contest, three o'clock kick, and uh, we will be watching it along with the rest of you. Um, that'll do it for today. For Matt Gallivan, I'm Marshall Kellner. Thanks again to Mike Wabshaw for an excellent conversation, and we will talk to you next time. See ya.